Welcome to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. This is Episode 6 in Conversations about Church, God, and the Pandemic. Today's conversation is with Larry Divers. Our conversation includes discussion about the differences and similarities of his Catholic background with the Baptist faith tradition. Listen as we explore these and other insights regarding the intersections of faith and life. Joining me today is Larry Divers for a conversation. And Larry, I'm looking forward to this. Welcome. Thanks so much, Frank. I'm looking forward to it, too, but I'm not really sure where we're going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just trust me. Isn't that the famous word? Absolutely. And now you're all at ease, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Tell me about when you came to Athens. Um, That's an interesting story behind it all. All right. Uh, I came to Athens in 1990, actually 1989, and I came here for employment. Uh, I had been working with Canon Financial Institute on a part-time basis while I was still working in Seattle, Washington, initially for First Interstate Bank and then Wells Fargo. And then the CEO of Canon, who was from here in Athens, Georgia, for many, many, many years had asked that I go to work for him full-time. And I kept putting it off and putting it off and But in the interim, I had married Sherry, my current wife, and she was from Americus, Georgia. And since we had our first little one and her son, Terrell, who was my stepson, uh, so we decided that they should have the grandparents' experience as well and moved to Georgia. Okay. And as a result, that would be much easier because my parents had passed away. Okay. So, so I wanted them to have the, the grandparents' experience and the family and all of that. So that was the primary reason. You literally moved coast to coast. Literally close to coast. That's right. <laughs> now, is Seattle uh, more than just a place where you were? Is that home or close to home for you? Actually, that was home. I was actually born in New Jersey, in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, you just love doing the coast hopping, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I went from one side to the other. And when I was uh, an infant, uh, my father decided to relocate to uh, Seattle, Washington. So I was raised in Seattle, right in the, within the city limits of Seattle, in the north end of Seattle. Wow. Different part of the country. Very different from the southeast. Do you have this much sunshine out there? I will say that Seattle is one of the prettiest places in the entire United States and world on a sunny day. On a sunny day. On a sunny day. It's just that you don't get very many sunny days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't get the heat, nor do we get as many sunny days. So it, it does rain a great deal of the time, and the sun does not come out. So it's, mm-hmm. And people don't recognize how north it is as well. So in the winter, the days are very, very short. So you go to the work in the morning in the dark, and you come home in the evening in the dark as well, because it's a very short uh, days and longer days than during the uh, summer months as well. So I guess the with daylight saving times in particular, the sun doesn't really go down until pretty late, I guess. Yeah, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. That's right. Very I bet that's really, that sounds really odd for it, there to be that much daylight still at 1030. Yeah, it's really amazing. 
So people live differently there in their lifestyles that way. They're very active in the summer months and hunting, fishing, outside all the time as much as they possibly can because the weather's nice and you've got sunshine. Mm. And, you know, you're outside. So it's a very different lifestyle. Now in the winter, you don't do as much. <laughs> I bet not. So, so you moved here in the early 90s. That's correct. Been here and since. have been here ever since? Yes. What I want to talk to you about initially mm-hmm. is your religious background uh-huh. from your childhood and adolescence. Sure. What faith tradition did you grow up in and what was that like? Uh, I grew up as a Catholic and my parents were Catholic, both of them. And my grandparents were on both sides as well. So both my father and my mother were both Catholic and both their parents were Catholic as well. And I grew up in the north end of Seattle. Now, Seattle is rather a unique city in a lot of different ways, and I could go on for hours about it. But the major religion in the Northwest and in the state of Washington is Catholicism by far and away. And at that point in time, when I was growing up, there was a big deal between parochial schools and public schools. So I grew up in the north end of Seattle and went to a parochial school, Catholic school, and started in first grade and went through Catholic schools 8 through 12, all the way through uh, through that entire frame, and uh, lived in the same house. And uh, the school was about a block and a half away from my house, as was the church. And it was uh, the church and the school and a playground and everything. I took a whole block in the north end of Seattle, which is still there to this day. And that was very common at that point in time, uh, post-World War II. And in that Northwest is that there were what we call parishes in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And so you would join a parish, and the parish was very active in that community uh, of which that church and school served. And so you would then go from one major neighborhood to another major neighborhood and then it would have another Catholic church and another Catholic school and their parish, and that's how it ran. So it was really very, very structured that way. And so there literally were almost Catholic churches on every corner or every other corner, as you kind of, or at least close by? You're very close by. Uh-huh. Yeah, not on every corner by any any wish. Yeah, in form, the South, but you have Baptist churches almost on every corner. That's right. So you would go, within the city, you would probably go about, I, from where the church was, about 20 to 25 blocks either way, all the way around to have a square. And so there was... Uh, since Seattle was such a large population of Catholics living then, they had an archbishop as well, as well oh. as a bishop. And uh, That's big time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very big time, very big time. So it, it, it's, it was the major religion by far and away. But the interesting part is, in my upbringing, is that the best friends of our family were Jewish. Really? By far and away, yes. And, and to this day, they are. And what had happened is that during World War II, my father went into the military and was in the Army, and he met another gentleman at that point in time. And they went all the way through World War II together and all the way through invading Europe, liberating Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, 
they both married while they were in the military, and the wives lived dead together, actually, during part of World War II and remained really? friends. And that's how we ended up in Seattle, because my father came back. He was an accountant by training, and uh, he decided to move out west uh, because he had a nice job to go to out there, and he moved to there, and that's where that couple had also gone back to because the gentleman... He was from New York, but married a, a woman, a Jewish woman from Seattle. So he moved out to Seattle. So my dad's best friend, all the way through the military and everything, was already in Seattle. So I grew up in the Jewish community and the Catholic community in Seattle. So it was kind of an interesting. That's very interesting. Parallel. <laughs> <laughs> so did you end up having some religious discussions about Oh, gosh. With those Absol folks. Tell me about some of that. Absolutely. It was, um, they were best of friends. And yeah. they would come to everything that was related to Catholicism. The Jews would come to our, you know, if we were being confirmed when you turned 12 years old in the Catholic Church, they would come to our confirmations. They would come to graduations. You know, we had dinner with them probably every other or almost every Sunday night during the winter months. Yeah. So it was always a constant discussion. And uh, so I knew the people and the, the Jewish rabbi who became very f famous out of uh, Seattle as well. So it was interesting. Yeah, we did a lot of conversations between the difference between one or the other. And they said, well, we're the two oldest religious. One of us are right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Did you go to a Seder meal with oh, them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've done that, absolutely. Oh, so what was that like? It's very interesting because it, a Seder meal is what we would have gone through in, as written in the Old Testament. It was exactly like that. You know, wow. And, you know, and then during the what we call the, the Advent season, obviously, then you would have have the menorah, et cetera, at that point in time, and the lighting of the candle process that, that they would go through in, during that time frame, time frame as well. So we would always celebrate, okay, theirs, and we'd do our Christmas, so it was always back and forth on that. So we did both. Yeah. It was kind of an interesting thing. It is an interesting element that, though the traditions are very different, light is very significant for each. No question. Absolutely. Uh, and the use of a candle is, yes. is, is very, very important in both religions. And it's still used to a great extent in all of Christianity as well as in Judaism. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Tell me a little bit more about post-high school education well, and your Catholic track. Okay, so I, I did attend the seminary for about four years, and I was thinking about becoming a priest. And along the way, I felt that I had a little bit more to offer outside of being a priest than within the confines of being a priest. And, uh, so that was uh, an interesting part of my educational background for about four years. So, so the your decision-making to go that route in the first place, what was that like? How did It was primarily decide? driven by my upbringing in the Catholic school from the very beginning and having the, you know, at that time, the head of our, what we call our parish, our church, um, 
he was a monsignor at that point in time. He ended up becoming an archbishop eventually, but he was very, very, very articulate, and very, very bright, very, very smart. And uh, a number of my friends that I grew up with decided to try it out as well. And one of them made it out of, I think, nine of us. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was a lot of his influence as well because of, uh, you know, he was very interested to see how things were going. And it's hard to find priests in this day and age as it was in that day and age as yeah. well. But uh, different time, different things going on in the world. So <laughs> one out of nine of you. Right, right. It's still a priest. Hmm. I do think it's very common that we have some of these individuals in our life who really stand out as a, either strong mentor, mm-hmm. uh, very influential in our spirituality, right. as well as life choice. Yes. And uh, my mother was very much that way as well, as well as my father. Now, my father was kind of unique from the standpoint is that uh, he'd gone through a Catholic school as well, so did my mother growing up, but also going through World War II, where he he was not behind the lines. He was up front. So he saw people die, and his friends passed away, you know, were killed in the war, and he and his his best friend, Abe, all right, uh, you know, they saw a lot of that. Yeah. So that their religion was important to him, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't say a whole lot about it. And, and if you ever met anyone or knew them very well, who went through World War II, uh, the people who really saw a lot of action did not want to talk about it. No. They, they really did not. And so he didn't want to talk about it, but his religion was important to him, hmm. very important to him. He had a lot of stories about that, especially as they went through Europe and that type of thing. And I always remember, because he was, uh, my dad was a very smart man. Everything he had said he was a genius. Uh-huh. military and everybody else, all this testing. But one thing he did was interesting when he was going through France and liberating France. They came in, and he had to, eventually he would set up all the command posts. He was in charge of the command posts. So he went into his house, and there were three men working in the command post, not in the command post, in a house. And there were three men there living there and working on this small farm. And he said, well, we'd like to know if we could – use the house as a command post at this point in time. Would you mind at all? I said, absolutely not. Uh, we're glad to have you here. You're liberating us, et cetera, et cetera. They turned to me and said, well, you know, is there anything that we could do for the troops? And he said, well, I don't know. What, what could you think? I said, well, now we, we're safe that we can tell you. Um, one was a Lutheran minister uh, one was a Jewish rabbi, and one was a Catholic priest. And really? They, and they had hid there during the occupation. And so they took over, the, and they what they did for the entire battalion, actually it was a division he was in charge of, um, they actually had services for all of them. And that was one of the biggest things that he thought he ever did during World War II to make a positive impact on all of those people is that they uh, and the men all attended. It was just kind of an interesting story. Very interesting story. So real religious influence from both sides. Yeah. So education, school, home life, parents, home life, yeah, et cetera. So 
you know, then your sports were going on with school and everything else. So it, it all inter, interwove. What was the decision point? You said you felt like you had more to offer outside of the priesthood than you did within it. If I, That's right. So what really crystallized that decision for you? Well, it was a very different time in the 70s, as you probably know, in in early 80s. And there was a lot going on in our society, and I felt that uh, if I went down the educational route, that I could make some difference that way, uh, more than I could through the church. So that, that was my biggest decision. And, that, and I did make that decision, and so I went and decided to go into education at that point in time, and uh, was, which was kind of interesting because that's not what I'd started in to do because then when I got into education for a while, I said, you know, they really don't listen to you that much. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went back into business. So, so I was in the business world. Do they listen a little more in the they business listen, world? Yes, when there's money attached to it, there's always so there's a lot more. To, it's a bigger carrot. That's right carries a bigger stick <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> well growing up catholic yes and tracking toward the priesthood you moved to athens and you find yourself in a baptist church yes how do you make that move uh, interesting transition to say the least initially sherry was raised okay as a baptist etc my wife And, of course, now I have two sons, and then she looked for a Baptist church that she wanted to and and selected this church. And then I would go to the Catholic church, and then I would just didn't seem right, you know, that I'm going across the street, and they're coming out from the other church across across the street the other way, and it just didn't seem right. So I just kind of looked through the theology and philosophy, and I talked to you about it and a few other people about it, and I said, well, I think I'll join the church or meet, attend there and because they believe in all the same things that I do, basically. Yeah. There's a few things that I don't really want to argue about and about <laughs> really hardcore Catholicism, but everything else was pretty well the same. So I decided to, for... The family would be best to come here, and I've enjoyed it ever since. Well, we're very glad that you've invested here. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. Uh, theologically, where where are the things that are very, very close? Because some of us who grew up Baptist were almost led to believe that Catholics weren't even Christian. That's right. That's uh, right. I mean, in the Deep South, and I don't mean to make light of that because there was a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that belief, not Correct. truth in it, but truth in that belief. So as you compare those things, what what areas are really close theologically? I think it's really easier to go down the list of where I think that people have misconceptions that really I can understand, okay? But yeah. the majority, that 90% of it is similar. I know that having one person earn grace and purgatory, so if you do this, it's going to end up, you get this many of uh, positive points versus demerits <laughs> for the things that go wrong. And if you get enough positive points and you do certain things and you do your penance and you can be absolved from your sins by someone else, 
Yeah. Uh, the whole idea of confession in, in Catholicism. And whereas in Baptist religion, it's between you and God. It's, it's a personal thing. You don't have to go through. So that was, I was fine with that. Second was uh, the idea of the Final Supper, which we call Mass in, in Catholicism. Yeah. And Catholicism believes in transubstantiation and Baptist don't, obviously. And I said, well, that's not that important to me either. So uh, explain a little bit what transubstantiation means oh. and implies. Okay. Transubstantiation comes from the idea that actually during the Mass, all right, that during the sacrifice of this is my body and this is my blood, that it actually is transubstantiated into to Christ and, and his blood as well at that same at that time. Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. And it was actually transubstantiation to that that it, and that has been debated in Catholicism for literally hundreds of years. Yeah. By some of the smartest people in the world <laughs> that have ever walked in the world. And which is one of the reasons why non-Catholics do not participate in Mass, in a Catholic Mass, is because of those differences of belief. Is that correct? correct? That's correct. Um, Immersion is not necessary. Complete immersion for baptism. Baptism is pretty much the same, except that it's infant baptism versus senior baptism. Um, There are parallels in the Catholicism to the Baptist. You just don't go through. Mm. is that there's infant baptism, but then in Catholicism you have a confirmation, all right, when you become, and that really came, is very similar to the bar mitzvah that takes place in the Jewish religion where you're an adult, and then you make your commitment at that point, and you're confirmed to be Catholic or confirmed to be Jewish, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Whereas you are committed to having someone have an immersion at and make their decision on baptism. So that again was I already gone through confirmation. I don't need to worry about going through that because I you know yeah. already made your commitment. So I didn't find that as uh, the big big issue either. Um, everything else is pretty much the same. Hmm. There really isn't other than those kind of what I see is the th- three to four main issues. Yeah, and so. I never did understand why they thought that we were atheist or whatever it was, and Baptists thought that way. I never did understand it. I never was around it yeah. in any way, shape, or form. When Sherry and I lived together when we were married in Seattle, she tried to find a Baptist church and really was not couldn't find one that she liked. Yeah, you know. So she we actually went to a Catholic church. So uh, it was kind of interesting. She didn't find it. You know, hocus pocus. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that the Catholic tradition uh, has given Christianity is deep appreciation for the mysticism yes. in the Christian religion and spirituality and the development of the mystery side and the spirit side of the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great gift. Yeah, and they're parallel. Yeah. They're absolutely apparel, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, and that's, uh, of course, we always went through that. You shouldn't call him a ghost and all that. 
Uh, that was when you were a kid growing up. But absolutely uh, parallel. There's no difference in at all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that was not a hard situation. Now, whether or not the Bible is actually history or not is not an issue either to me. I mean, mm. Genesis is a great story. And we know it wasn't written by one person, and we know that from research, and everybody knows that. So, yeah, I mean, that isn't word by word. So that whole debate about that, I don't have trouble with them. At mm-hmm. all. You know, so there's actually three stories of creation in Genesis. So when you put them all together, it's kind of interesting. But I'm not going in that detail. <laughs> you don't want to do an uh, exposition on that real quick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for another conversation. There you go. It would be fun to explore. Yeah. So with scripture. Yes. I would imagine perhaps you've got a favorite story or a passage. What would be one you'd put on the short list? Probably the prodigal son. Really? Yeah. It's a magnanimous story in my mind. Um, the forgiveness and the jealousy that comes out of those things, but you're trying to do what's best in People will go and be the wandering son and do other things, but if they can come back and are welcomed back and brought back and everything's going to be okay and you move forward, it's, it's so powerful. Mm. Uh, it is very, very powerful. And you can't go without the Sermon on the Mount, which would you could spend you know hours upon hours discussing. There was so much covered there. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so much covered. Yeah, and so... Mm-hmm. I did one story versus an event or whatever. I, I probably those two would, would be the most. To me, there are the Bible is so impactful from the standpoint is there are so many stories and people remember stories and yes how they can interpret those and use them in their own day to day life and it's a couple thousand years old. It is. What's one of the stories that doesn't get enough treatment? You think? <laughs> I think just one of them, and it's just a personal, is the story of Esther. You yeah. Know, it, it's a very unique, small, very small. Why it's there, it's very debated. And some... It is. Some don't have it in it. Some Bibles don't have the story of Esther in it. Esther is a great story. And it. you're right, it barely made the cut. Yeah. It was it was questionable about being in the canon. But I thought it was a great story from the standpoint of here is a very strong woman in that era and that uh, so much of the Bible didn't talk about females that really made the world different. Yeah. And she did. And I think that was very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's... And a lot of people don't even know the book or talk about it or why is it there and I just thought it was an interesting book to be included all right question yes if you had the opportunity to take God to dinner where would you go eat if I had the opportunity to take God to dinner you know that's that's a that's a not an easy one (laughs) but uh I'd probably do this. I would probably think about it this way, is to say I'd I'd probably take him out for a nice 
pasta dinner, of all things. Of all things, a pasta dinner. A pasta dinner. And that's absolutely, I think it would be a great situation because you could have a little bread on the side and the pasta and it's, you know, you've got the pasta that's made out of the soil and comes from the soil and a little bit of meat, but not a whole lot. And that's what I do. And that also gives a person a little bit of time because you have to get the pasta on your fork so while you're talking, they can actually <laughs> eat along the way <laughs> and have time to think, too. Have time to think. That's important. That's exactly right. So what would be your choice for topic of conversation? Topic of conversation. Why? I'd start there. Is that the universe is so big and so vast. Mm-hmm. Um, just the why. Why, why it's... It, so evolving and it's evolving over time and mankind and why how's it all fit how's it all work mm-hmm. I, I, it's still a mystery to me yeah so it's just so big and so vast and humanity as an individual we're only here for a very short amount of time when you put it in a perspective and uh, what your purpose and what your goal is should be and, and, and how does that fit into the whole structure interesting question would for be me and an interesting conversation yes and a long one i imagine <laughs> lots of pasta yeah <laughs> yes you know we've talked uh, several times about the pandemic yes and it's such a major marker point in mm-hmm. our lifetime yeah you know and for younger generations as well very challenging uh, to most every sector in life but in that, some discoveries, some of which are still unfolding. Yes, very much so. What is, from your perspective, uh, some of the discoveries that you've made? Well, the biggest thing that I can relate to in the pandemic is that it's not only one country, but it's the world. Okay, And we have not had a plague, if you will, for decades. And we went, in essence, through a plague. And millions died. Um, more than passed away in the wars, right? And we combined. And it's to me, it's an interesting situation is, has mankind stepped back and said, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And where are we going out into the future? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think we are right now in our world society, world society, going through a shift. We're going through a huge shift where people, unlike post-World War II economics, which is what we've lived through the majority of baby boomers' lives, um, that has now changed, is that it's changed to... The next generations are coming up and saying, you know, work isn't everything. There's more to it. And we don't have a geographic view anymore and that the true global view is more important than our own country, right down to our own city or locality that we live, that we've got to look at what's around us worldwide and how interrelated it all is. And to me, that has all come out of this in time of the pandemic and COVID is that people want to 
know what else is going on in the entire world. They're recognizing they're interrelated to everyone else in the world, which they, I think a lot of people didn't think that in any way, shape, or form. And that uh, the way we were brought up in my generation and even the generations that are alive today, things are going to be much different going prospectively in, in everything. And many scholars are looking at it that this is the entire new fourth major economic change that will move prospectively for another hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we have, because of internal combustion engines, oil, fuel, everything else, everything has relied on that and that's how the world economy has evolved uh, in that situation. And now that we're moved to technology and instantaneous communication worldwide and people are actually ex- <laughs> experienced the supply chain problems Yes, that's based worldwide, and food problems worldwide. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, there's also more mechanisms coming in, not only just computers but robots, et cetera, that can think, artificial intelligence, um, and so the lifestyles of people will completely change worldwide, and that we who have a northern culture, if you will, all right, basically it was European culture brought to the United States, uh, and some from the Eastern culture, but now it's going to be changing so much more that the Eastern culture is by far and away larger than the Western culture, and so those cultures are going to change, and they're going to change the world and how they look at the world. So the idea of Christianity, will that flow into the greatest populations in the world which are not Christian-oriented and have the same value structures and things of that nature? And I think we're we're right at a a tipping point right now, and many scholars believe that as well, that obviously I won't be alive 30 years from now or 50 years from now, but the world will be very, 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 very different than where it is right now. You're making, making me think of a lot of things. Uh, one uh, that comes to mind, I believe it's Phyllis Tribble. Yes. Wrote a book, the great, either The Great Experiment or The Great Experience. I've got the title slightly wrong, I know. But what she does in a little small book is she looks at Christianity over its 2,000-year period. Correct. And breaks it down it the great emergence mm-hmm. is the title of the book and at each 5 year 500 year increment there was a major shift in uh, religion and mm-hmm. the way that it organized it affected its theology its practice correct um and when this book came out I, perhaps in the late 90s, either late 90s or early 2000s, right in that period, she was talking about the new emergence that's coming, not with definition Mm -hmm. as to what it was going to be, but that we were at one of those major shifts. Yeah, it's definitely a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And a lot of scholars are looking at that right now. And it's not just 
religious oriented. It's day-to-day life experiences and how people live. What is a standard of living that is acceptable? Um, you know, that all is going to be addressed in the next 20 years, completely different. And it has such major impact for the church. Yes. Because our church life, to some degree, is structured around the way our flow of life is mm-hmm. in culture. You know, it, a lot of church is still stuck in the agrarian kind of format mm-hmm. uh, with some things, but it, things that we can see in the in the church and the way it has its practice of what time worship is, <laughs> the old style of having revivals yes, and other kinds of things about the church schedule were, were built around some of our life patterns. And as you indicate that these life patterns are going to be changing, it will have an effect on the church. Absolutely. And, and you know, when you and I grew up, you know, Sunday morning, everybody's going to church. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there, there was no question about it. Mm-hmm. It's just when you were going, <laughs> which service were you going to, right? Right. Uh, that was a given. And now we have that changed immensely from the standpoint there are so many other activities that are, in essence, competing with it at that point in time in our society. And uh, people can fill that time very easily with something else. It isn't part of their routine as much. And that's another major change that came out of COVID. Yeah. You know, is that not attending. And so when that routine breaks it's hard to start that routine up again because we're going to go to the easiest path which is not getting up and going (laughs) yeah yeah and there's other time things to fill their time at that time some people will comment that what one of the things the pandemic did was to accelerate the things that were already changing to bring that about a little bit quicker yes it did and it, it's just like work-life balance. It's the same thing. Is that people were starting to say, I don't want to work 60 hours a week anymore. Uh, I'm not going to work six days a week. I'm not. And now with the pandemic, people are saying, I only want to go into the office one, two, three, four days a week, but I'm not going full, full time. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually been written up a great deal worldwide by McKinsey and others is that, our work week could possibly change to a four-day work week and rotate it that way, not a five-day work week uh, worldwide because of technology, et cetera, et cetera, that you don't need to work that many hours anymore. You know, And so it, it's, there's a lot going on right, on, on all that. So it's well said. We could talk about that for a long time. Yes. <laughs> I have a few lightning round questions for you. All righty. Those I did not give to you ahead of time. Okay, shoot. What is the most unusual job you've ever had? The most unusual job I ever had had to be at one time when I was going to graduate school and I need some extra money. I was a security guard at uh, Walmart. Oh, I've got a whole new picture of you now. <laughs> That's hard to believe that I did it, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would imagine that you've got some stories you could tell from that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, 
Where is one place that you would like to travel to that you have not been to before? Believe it or not, as many millions of miles that I have traveled, I have not been to Italy or Greece. And I, I would really like to go to Italy and Greece because that's where so much of the Western civilization evolved from, just to see it, just yeah. to say that it, I was there. Because you know, everywhere you step, it's history. So that's that's some kind of place I'd like to go. Very good. We've talked in and around this some already about technology. Mm-hmm. And so in your lifetime, with the changes in technology that you've seen, what would you say is one of the most significant ones? Believe it or not, what I believe as one of the most significant changes is the impact that the actual iPhone has had on our society. Hmm. Now, I'm from Seattle, you know, (laughs) Microsoft, backyard, everybody I knew, lots of people I knew worked at Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. All that technology, et cetera. But making this much communication instantaneously available to everyone via a handheld device that has more computing power than we're in and laptops 10 years ago. Yeah. It does. It has more power. It can do more things. And it's changed people's entire way of life. And I always like to tell this in, in a class I'm teaching or doing of that, and it says, okay, how many have forgotten their phone and gone back home to get it or called someone to bring their phone to them because it's a panic if you don't have it mm-hmm. in your hand and you've probably done it oh yeah and and people will say well why do you say that for an iphone because if i go back and i say well maybe it was the blackberry yeah but you probably had a blackberry and if i asked you where it was You'd say it's in a landfill. Or if I asked you if you had a Walkman, most people you said, yeah, I had a Walkman, but it's in a landfill at the present time. All of those things have led up and all that technology and and all of that computer processing and everything has gone to bring us to this level where you have it, 200 satellites just shot into space by a space rocket that came back and landed back on the ground uh, so they could support more of the iPhone worldwide and communications worldwide. So that to me is, has changed the world because it's instantaneous worldwide communication that has changed the entire world and will never go back. So one of the things that has brought our communication with the world and shrunk the world for us too yeah absolutely no question but and it's it's and it's instantaneous yeah you know, and that's which makes people if i can't get the answer i want the answer right now and as fast as i can get it and that's the way our society has evolved and it's going to continue to evolve that way us at lunch I know. I mean, we're talking about a passage of scripture and defining what chapter it's actually in. We just get out our phones and look it up. We both did. 
instantaneously. Yeah. It's kind it, of amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right, I have one more question. Yes. Either a book or a movie or a show you've streamed, what would you recommend? Oh, that, that's a, a book that I would recommend. There are so many books that I would recommend. But I think, I probably think John Steinbeck's East of Eden. Really? Yeah. I think it was his finest work because it showed so much in one book. Mm. So that's probably one that, because good and bad and all in, all in one. I think that would probably would be the one that I would do. Anything else you'd like to add? Not necessarily, but you've asked me a lot of tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Larry, I've had a delightful time sharing this conversation with you, and I thank you for your time and appreciate it. You as well, Frank. Thank you. Can't you picture a small local Italian restaurant the sun setting on the horizon and a fresh pasta dinner served for a meal and conversation with God? The words which come to mind are welcoming, intimate, and grace-filled. This is the FBC Athens podcast, Open to Explore, featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. Listen next week as another member joins me for conversations about church, God, the pandemic, and more.